Please turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. You know, that's not a way to start the message with a phone call. First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> topic this morning is the good news, the good news. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have this morning to look into your word together. We acknowledge, O Lord, our inadequacy. We ask, Father, that by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to your people what you would have them to hear and in a manner that you would wish them to hear it. Let your word, O Father, accomplish that which you would have it to achieve. And Father, we pray that your word would find fertile soils in the hearts of your people. Cause us, O Lord, to remember that which we will hear today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 First Peter chapter 1. The topic this morning is the good news. The good news. The goal of our message this morning is quite simple. The goal of our message is this, in a sentence, is to show that in the midst of life's Challenges in the midst of life's challenges and even our failings, our own failings, we believers can find unimaginable peace and inexpressible joy in our salvation. I want to say that again. Our goal this morning is to show that in the midst of life's challenges, And even our own failings, we as believers can find unimaginable peace and inexpressible joy in our salvation. No matter what our circumstances, we can find unimaginable peace and inexpressible joy in our salvation. Let's read now First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. This is what Peter writes to the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he says further, it is kept in heaven for you. What about you? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In verse 6 he continues, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Then in verse 10, he continues, concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, that is to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Angels long to look. Let me read verse 12 again. It was revealed to them, that is to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, not themselves as they prophesied, as they inquired. They were serving not themselves, but they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those, through the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news, who preached the good news to you, who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The good news. Well, it seems no matter where we turn these days, the news of the day is 
bad. It's bad news everywhere. In Haiti, 1,000 people died during the passage of Hurricane Matthew. Another headline, man shot, man found shot dead. Another headline, Syrian rebels launch Aleppo offensive to break siege. And I could go on and on and on talking about the bad news that we read about nationally and internationally as well on a daily basis. But then we have bad news even in our personal lives. In our personal lives, we have bad news. The death of a loved one. Perhaps a diagnosis that we did not expect or the loss of a job, a relational issue. Bad news. For many it seems that life is a web of bad news. But mindful of life's challenges, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 writes the good news about the good news to a persecuted church that no doubt needed to hear some good news. This persecuted church needed to hear some good news. Peter writes the good news to them. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been in a state where you just said to yourself, I really need to hear some good news today? Things have been so depressing. I can't take any more bad news. Enough. I need some good news today. Lord, let this thing that she's going to tell me today, let it be good news. I can't take no more bad news. I'm weighed down by the bad news. Well, the first recipients of Peter's letter, believed to be to have been Greeks who lived just north, west of Syria. They were being persecuted and lived in constant fear because of their faith. It was not easy for them at all. They were being persecuted and they were being looked down upon in the marketplace and wherever they went. And therefore, Peter writes to encourage them. He writes to encourage these people who he loved. And by extension, he writes to encourage us. Notice that Peter doesn't write to them to remove themselves from these bad circumstances. He didn't say go somewhere else. He didn't tell them to do that. But he told them in these verses that we read, to take hold of the awesome realities of their salvation. So says, take hold of it. Understand it. Understand what it means. Understand what the good news means. Have you ever had something in your hand, something that was precious, but you didn't know its full value? 
Perhaps you've had something somebody gave to you and, and it took weeks and maybe years for you to understand its value. Or maybe never did. Well, Peter says to these people, listen, you've got to understand the value of the good news. The value of your salvation. And Peter does this by sharing with them good news. Good news of the good news. The good news is Good news indeed. You cannot take in the words of Peter. You can't take in the words, these words of Peter, and not be incredibly affected. It's just not possible. It's not possible. And I pray that, I pray that as we go through this message, you come to appreciate that. I can tell you, I can tell you, as I was preparing this message, I've had the privilege to preach on a number of occasions. But I've never been this affected by a message in my entire life. In fact, I found it very difficult to complete this message. Because every time I went back to it, and I saw a jewel on the Lord, I couldn't write it down because it was just so fantastic what was being revealed in these words. As I began to understand the good news, this precious salvation that you and I have, even in the most difficult of circumstances that we have. No doubt like Peter's original audience, we need some good news. Perhaps for different reasons. Perhaps for different reasons. I don't know what your situation, your circumstance is. I don't know your particular difficulty. The reason does not matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the reason is. Today we will explore the, the good news by examining seven of its constituents that Peter mentions in this passage that we read. Let's begin our exploration of the good news and hope that like Peter's first audience you will find it to be good news indeed. Peter provides for us a number of practical implications of the good news. In other words, Peter helps us to see how the good news affects what affects us and in so doing, inspires us. We'll start with the end of the passage first that we read to draw out our first observation about the good news. But before we do that, before we do that, it is important for us to understand a few things about this term, good news, as found in Scripture. You will be aware that the term Gospel, which in Greek I am told, is euangelion, euangelion, which means good news and is derived from the word angelos, which means messenger. Now, I, I don't know anything about Greek at all. In fact, I had to consult with my brother Shombi. I have read 
that in classical Greek, Euangelios was a messenger who brought a message of victory that produced joy. A message of victory that produced joy. Indeed, in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, Isaiah writes this about the messenger of the, a messenger of the Lord. He writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. In a sentence, the good news is this. The good news is this. God has provided a way of salvation through his crucified son to everyone who believes. That's the good news in a sentence. God has provided a way of salvation through his crucified son to everyone who believes. I wish now for us to consider these attributes or outgrowths, if you will, of the good news that Peter writes about. Now, as we consider these, as we consider these seven, I want us to take account of them not from a scholarly perspective, that's not what we're doing, but from the position that they are to serve as antidotes to life's challenges. That's like a, it's like a medicine. You've got a challenge, you can take one of these. That's the point. To serve as antidotes to life's challenges. I wish that they would gladden our hearts during periods of weariness. As we consider these, I wish that they would heighten our eagerness to see Jesus. And as we consider them, I wish that they would draw us closer to our Savior. Peter, by the hand of Silvanus, writes here in these words that we read, what one scholar says is the best written Greek in the New Testament. Beautiful words to inspire us to live by. Grab a hold of these words. Your life be different. Grab a hold of these words. First point I wish to make We draw out these 12 verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. The good news is historic. The good news is historic. Here is what Peter writes in verses 10 through 12 concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The significance, the importance, the value of the good news is demonstrated by the fact that long before its manifestation, years, hundreds of years before its manifestation, prophets searched and prophesied about it. And angels long to look into it. This is serious stuff. It's a big deal. The good news is historic in the sense that all, that in all of humanity, history points to it. The entirety of humanity, from the beginning until now, history points to the good news. There is nothing in life that is more important. Indeed, the entirety of the Old Testament is about the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the author of the good news. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. It is historic. In Genesis, we know, we learn that he is the offspring of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. In Psalm, he is the crucified Savior. In Exodus, he is our sacrificial lamb. In Isaiah, he is the lamb that was slaughtered and the one who bore our griefs carried our sorrows, and was stricken by God. And in Zechariah, he is the righteous king, having salvation. He is the humble one, the one who is mounted on a donkey. All of the New Testament, all of them, all of the prophets, announcing the good news, it got to be something special got to be something special. These men of old would not themselves take hold of the good news, Peter writes to us, but they spent a lifetime looking into it. And look at what Peter writes to the church under siege. Under siege, remember now, this church is under siege and Peter is encouraging them. And he is saying to them, look at what you have. Look at what you now have. You've got something that these men and women could only prophesy about. They looked into it. They spent a lifetime thinking about it. And he says, Peter writes further concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, and by extension, ours. Yours and ours. The point is that the prophets could not take hold of the good news. But Peter's readers, and and we can today. The fact is that since the fall of man, history has been taken up by the good news since the fall of man. That suggests to me that it must be something to behold. 
It's got to be special. It must be extraordinary and a source of tremendous encouragement that we can enjoy what they spent a lifetime trying to understand. They were looking forward. We can look back. Indeed, we can stand presently and embrace our salvation. We are the recipients of this treasure that occupied the minds of countless people and angels and angels who hundreds of years before it manifested. Blessed we are. Blessed we are. Having considered the historic significance of the good news, let us turn now to point number two. Good news demonstrates God's abundant mercy. Good news demonstrates God's abundant mercy. Consider what Peter writes in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, church, that Peter, Peter, Peter has a task before him. He is writing to a persecuted church. And Peter is saying, listen, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your job loss, in the midst of your relational issues, in the midst of all of it, in the midst of the recession, Peter says, in the midst of your health concerns, Peter says, consider the abundant mercy of God. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news, the good news is good because we do not receive it because of anything we do. Peter says it's, not, it's good because you don't have it because of anything you do. We don't receive salvation because of our merit. God should make us so secure. Peter says you don't get it. You don't get the good news because of what you do. We were chosen in Christ for salvation by God before the foundation of the earth. We were chosen by him because of his abundant mercy. Not because of our works. Not because of our looks. Not because of the family we were born in. We don't retain our salvation either because of ongoing holiness. Or even our good works. Peter said, you don't get it. You don't, you don't get it because of what you do. You don't retain it because of holiness or good works. You get it and you retain salvation because of God's abundant mercy. Be encouraged. We are saved by grace. And we keep our salvation by grace. Justice demanded that we be estranged from God forever. But God in His love, His Great love. While we were still sinners, sent Jesus his precious and only son to die for us. And when I consider my own sin, I know, I know, it could only be extraordinary mercy that saved me. It must have been abundant mercy. It couldn't be anything else. And then when I consider... 
all of our sins together. All of our sins together. I see that mercy to save us together was and beyond measurement and comprehension. It could only be abundant mercy. God's abundant mercy is the motivation, cause, and sustainer of our salvation. So we can rejoice even when the enemy tries to condemn us. Because when the enemy comes and tries to condemn us, we can remind him, listen, we weren't saved by what we did. And we don't keep our salvation because of what we do. Moreover, we can tell the enemy that God's abundant mercy towards us is anchored in his love for his son. It's anchored there. It ain't going anywhere. Abundant mercy trumps our sin. There is no price we could pay for it. No sacrifice we could make for it. And no way we could live to justify it. Yet it is ours. It is ours. It's ours. What is, what is your circumstance today? You've got abundant mercy on your side. Got abundant mercy. Yes, the good news is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. And point number three, it is uniquely transformational. It is uniquely transformational. Blessed, Peter writes in verse 3b, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No matter what it means, no matter what it means, we know that salvation is transformational. That is why we call it born again. The good news is uniquely transformational. Our first birth was a physical birth, but our second birth is a spiritual birth. Having been born, you know, some people who have been born in a rich family, perhaps they think that they're privileged. They regard themselves as privileged. But nothing compares to being born again of the spirit of the one who owns all things. I'm told that Trinidadians are the happiest people on the planet. Perhaps one considers oneself blessed to be a citizen of Trinidad, yet nothing compares to being born again and having one's citizenship in heaven. Peter says, he has caused us Look at what Peter writes. He has caused us. He has caused us to be born again. Just as we have had no say in our physical births, we've had none in our spiritual births. He has caused us indeed to be born again, is what Peter says. Peter reminds us, he encourages us by telling us that we have been Uniquely transformed, believers were born again by God's Holy Spirit who resides in us. We can live many times over 
I never plumb the depth of that truth. His presence transforms us. It makes sin bitter to us. It makes us more loving towards one another. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the circumstances are, if you have Jesus, you're better off than the richest person in the world who does not. Because you have been born again by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Almighty, the Spirit of the Omnipotent One. Born again. Peter said, be encouraged. Be encouraged by these words. You've been born again. The good news is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. It is uniquely transformational. And point number four, it gives us a living hope. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is not outside the realm of possibility. That our conditions sometimes cause us to feel that there is nothing to hang on to. You know, sometimes things get real rough. And we come to a place in our lives where just seems like there's nothing to hang on to. Lord, everywhere I turn, nothing seems to be working. Now you tell me how I know this. I know this because I've experienced it. And I know people and me, we are not that much different. Sometimes conditions are such that they cause us to feel that there is nothing to hang on to. And during those times, it is comforting to know that we have a living hope. Our hope is not in things that are dead or things that perish like people or money or reputation or influence. No, it's none of those. Our hope is in the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful song that pulls all this together. And I want to, and we know it, I want to share the words of the song with you. The song, it's called, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Where's the song? God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And the chorus goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because, just because, just because he lives. Another verse of the song says, and then one day, I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory, and I will know He lives. 
Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living just because he lives. We are comforted because we serve a living Savior. We serve a living advocate. We serve a living high priest. Because he lives, I know, those of us who believe will live and we will see him. The good news is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. It is uniquely transformational. It gives us a living hope. And point number five, it grants to us an unshakable inheritance. An unshakable inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter writes. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, listen to what Peter writes in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me remind you again that Peter writes this letter to a persecuted church. They were going through trouble on every side. Peter writes this letter to encourage them. And he encourages them by telling them that you have an unshakable inheritance. No matter what's going on around you, you've got an unshakable inheritance to look forward to. Peter reminds them that the good news is that we are sons and daughters of God. We are his sons and daughters. And as such, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And as heirs, we have a heavenly inheritance, which Peter says has four elements. Peter says that this inheritance got, has four elements. The first thing Peter says about this inheritance, he says, it is imperishable. That means it cannot be finished. Peter says, no matter what, how you use it, this inheritance, it's going to last forever. The good news is that our inheritance is unlike anything we know. We've not seen anything like this on earth. Because everything on earth perishes or will perish at some point. But Peter says that this inheritance that we have, it is imperishable. It has no expiry date. Be encouraged, Peter says. Then Peter writes that this inheritance, it is undefiled. Undefiled. Undefiled in the sense that our inheritance was gotten with holy hands. There was no skullduggery involved here. 
There was no impurity, no defilement, no crime committed to obtain our inheritance. It is undefiled since it was gotten by Jesus Christ himself. Our inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled. And then Peter writes this about our inheritance. He says in verse 4 that our inheritance is unfading. It is unfading. It is unfading. That means that it will not, it will never lose its beauty or its appeal. Peter says, you will not tire of your inheritance. He says, even after 1,000 years, your first experience with your inheritance will be like the one of your experience. You know, sometimes you get a new toy. And the first day and the first week, you enjoy that toy. There's nothing like it. Perhaps it's a car or a house or a motorbike. A bicycle, whatever it might be. And it captures all of your attention. But after a while, it fades in value to you. You don't like it the way you did before. Well, Peter says, your inheritance, this inheritance, the good news is that the inheritance that you will receive is unfading in value. You can't get used to it. Can't get used to it. Then Peter says about this inheritance. He said, it is kept in heaven. The good news is that the inheritance is kept in heaven. It is secured in heaven. Your place is there. Good news is kept in heaven. So the good news is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. It is uniquely transformational. It gives us a living hope. It grants us an unshakable inheritance. Point number six. It is severely tested. It is severely tested. Verse 6, Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, okay. so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, may be found to result Praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, perhaps you're like me. In fact, I'm sure you're like me. You wish that our acceptance of the good news removed all trials and temptations. Know that life was easy and smooth, no trials, no temptations. Indeed, Peter tells us, though, Peter tells us that the genuineness of our faith 
is tested. Genuineness of our faith is tested. Perhaps we think that the testing is done so that the Lord might see if we pass or fail. That's not it. You know, this is no test that Jesus administers to see whether we're going to pass or fail. This test is for us. This is our test. This is a self-test. I don't know how many of you have ever taken one of those, where you get to mark your own paper. And sometimes, you know, you, you, know, you can cheat on those, but you can't cheat on this one. Faith cannot truly exist without testing. You can't have faith without testing. Since faith requires acting on what one believes. If you really think about it, faith really requires acting on what you believe. So that in itself is a test. Peter, in comparing the testing of our faith to gold, is suggesting that we consider three things. As fire burns completely, material to nothing, thus revealing it not to be gold. You put gold, something that appears to be gold, you put it in the fire and it burns and it burns to nothing. So the trial of what we regard as faith might reveal it not to be faith. So Peter is saying, listen, you put something in the fire that you think is gold and you burn it to remove, to remove you think the impurities. But at the end of the day, everything burns up and you go to the fire, there's nothing there. But he says, the same is true about your faith. What you believe to be faith, you, he says, you go, you have a, a trial, a temptation, and you go through this fire, and there's nothing there. There's absolute failure. He says there's nothing there, no evidence. He says that's not faith. That's his point. That's the first thing that Peter wants us to understand. The second thing is, as fire demonstrates the strength of our faith, so the trials show us how strong we are. Fire demonstrates the strength of our faith. Trials show us how strong we are. And then finally, fire burns away impurities from gold. So do trials remove unrighteousness. Faith, Peter tells us, that the good news is that our faith is severely tested for a little while. We understand that. So as we go through tests and trials, we can rejoice knowing that Our faith will be strengthened. That the impurities will be removed. That the fire of the trials and the temptations will reveal that our faith is genuine. The good news is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. It is uniquely transformational. It gives us living hope. It grants us an unshakable inheritance. It is severely tested. And point number seven, it produces inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. In verse eight of this, of chapter one of First Peter, Peter says, 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Now remember that Peter is writing to a church that's being persecuted. (laughs) Peter says, you don't see him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. In these two verses, Peter draws a sharp distinction between his experience of having seen Jesus and those who, like you and me, would not have. Peter says that the good news produces a response in believers. He says the good news produces a response. What is that response? It causes the believer to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You've got salvation, Peter says. It, that's what it produces. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because the believer has obtained the salvation of his soul. While it is true that these bodies of ours break down from time to time. And while we will ultimately receive our salvation when Jesus returns, Peter tells us that we should be a people who rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory even now. Now, now, now. I don't really think, perhaps some of you might be thinking this, but I don't think that Peter meant that our joy could not be expressed. I don't think he is telling us that it could not be expressed. And therefore, we ought to be expressionless. I don't think that at all. I think he is saying here that when we comprehend the fact that our souls have been saved, we have a certain inner peace and contentment that nothing can move. Peter is saying that we have joy. We can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter tells us that no matter what you've been persecuted, you can still have joy. You've lost your job. He says you can still have joy. He says you can still have joy. Things aren't going right on the job. You still have joy. You still have joy. Peter is saying, the question we must ask ourselves is this. Does the fact that our souls are saved result in expressible, inexpressible joy? Let me ask the question again. Does the fact that your soul is saved, does that result in inexpressible joy? If not, why not? If not, why not? If the fact that you have been saved from the mighty hand of God because of the abundant mercy of God, if that fact does not cause inexpressible inexpressible joy, the question is, why not? 
Why not? Could it be that we have not valued the treasure that resides in these earthen vessels? We take it for granted. Could it be that we do not know sufficiently well the one who died for us? Could it be that we are too earthly focused? We've bought into the clear teaching of Scripture that we should be salt of the earth and light of the world. What about the joy of all creation? What about that one? Shouldn't we be the most joyous people in all creation? What if suddenly, no matter where we are, no matter the circumstances, we have inexpressible joy. No matter what's going on, we've got inexpressible joy. You know us, we're known as the, the joy people. Joy people. Good news. Good news. The good news, as we conclude, is truly marvelous. The good news is like no news we've ever heard. It is historic. It highlights God's abundant mercy. It is uniquely transformational. It gives us living hope. It grants us an unshakable inheritance. It is severely tested, and it produces inexpressible joy. Now, the fact is, at the beginning of this message, we talked about bad news and how the newspapers are filled with bad news. We also talked about the fact that oftentimes we have bad news in our personal lives. But you know what? The truth is that what we read about every day and even what we experience on a personal level, while they might be bad news, they're not the worst news. The worst news is this. The worst news is this. That as a result of Adam's sin, man was separated from God. That's the worst news. Separated from God. Man, all men. Separated from an all-powerful holy God. And the worst news is that we had no capacity on our own to make things right with this all-powerful God. That's the worst news. The good news is that if you are a believer today, 
the all-powerful God is also full of mercy and stands ready to cleanse you of your sins and to declare you righteous. If you are an unbeliever, that is, he stands ready to do that. He stands ready to turn your worst news around and to extend to you the good news. You can be like many here today and millions around the world who delight in the sound of the good news. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You're living under the worst news. You want to grab a hold of this. You want to grab a hold of this today. There's nothing like this. Peter says, listen, you live in this world that is filled with madness. He says, you can live here And still have a living hope. You can live under the umbrella of God's abundant mercy. You can look forward to unshakable inheritance. You can have joy that is unspeakable, inexpressible, and filled with glory. Despite the circumstances. He says, yes, you will be tested severely, but you can come out pure gold. And this, he says, all of this, all of creation, pointed to, points, pointed to what we now have the privilege of being able to embrace. Let us pray.